This time on Poll Hub, we're taking a break from coronavirus to talk polls and politics. First, we're going deep into the exit polls of the Democratic primaries with Edison Research. They're the ones who do the exit polls, and they've spent some time digging through their data to find some really interesting things that may tell us what the fall election could look like. And we're going to revisit 2016, yeah, one last time, let's hope so, to shoot down the seemingly never-ending notion that the polls were wrong back then. This time it's a Newsweek reporter postulating this fiction, and we will try and understand why this fake news just won't go away. Am I a little fired up? Yeah, okay, so we are, so let's get to it. And hi, everybody. Welcome to Poll Hub. I'm J.D. Dapper, Director of Innovation here at the Marist Poll. And I am Lee Maringoff, Director of the Marist College Institute for Public Opinion. And I'm Barbara Carvalho, Director of the Marist Poll. Well, you know, I've uh, I've been tired of getting people saying primary. What primary? I mean, I know we have very serious issues uh, facing us, and polling has certainly taken a um, a very different turn than we expected in the in the months of uh, March and April, and certainly going forward. And um, the Democrats surprisingly already have a presumptive nominee. Um, which certainly we didn't um, expect to have at uh, this point in time. So kind of doing a back to the future, because this is actually a look back at the primaries and also how that's going to impact the upcoming November elections. We have a very special guest, Larry Rosen, who is president of Edison Research. Welcome, Larry. Hi, happy to be here. We're really thrilled to to have you today. And actually, you're just fresh off of a, of a webinar on this very topic, um, which is uh, the the exit polling that you guys were doing um, up until um, the stay at home um, rules uh, in many of the states. And actually, if I recall, um, probably even uh, going forward through that. But tell us a little bit about um, what Edison's research is uh, in the whole exit poll process. Right. So we do the, in the case of the primaries, the entrance and exit polls uh, for the uh, NEP, the National Election Pool, which is uh, primarily made up of ABC, NBC, CBS, and CNN. So those four television networks, um, even though they brand their exit polls to themselves, so according to the CNN exit poll, according to the ABC exit poll, et cetera, uh, they hire one company to do the exit polls. And we've had this contract since the 2004 cycle, so for quite some time now. And actually, and, uh, you guys are it now. You are the exit poll, the only exit poll uh, that we, we have in the country. Right. We are the only people doing surveys of people leaving polling places, you know, get verified voters. Um, and, and that's what we did all through the, um, all through the primary and have done in many elections now going back quite, quite some time. And uh, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, Larry, that I, I know that uh, you had a good season because I didn't see any of the exit polls are wrong stories, and I didn't see any of the exit polls are right stories. So you only get coverage when uh, people are concerned about early release and all those kinds of things that people think may happen, uh, even if they don't. What, do you, what did you find out from the Democratic electorate from the primaries? Uh, and then maybe what does it mean going forward, but certainly from the primaries itself, what, what, what caught your eye as we were going through the process? 
Right. So that's what I've been spending a lot of time looking at, which is uh, obviously people on election night see the results from an individual state and uh, the networks report that and it's in the newspapers thereafter. But what I decided to do was to group together everyone who voted. We did 23 different states worth of exit polls and we're able to put all that data together, weight, <clears throat> excuse me, weight it to the appropriate size of each state and what percentage of the total that they make up. And look at the total Democratic primary electorate. So that's based on, we had 37,001 interviews actually. So a huge sample of people wow. who voted in these primaries. Who, who's so the this, one? <laughs> well, also this would have been the primaries up until which state? They went through May, uh, through March 17. Okay. Uh, so, they, so, they so what was the last state that uh, you guys actually did an exit poll for? Well, so the last ones were the March 17th states, Arizona, Florida, and Illinois. Okay, so you um, didn't have to end up in Wisconsin, even though they they held uh, their primary despite the stay-at-home orders. Right, the combination of the race essentially being resolved uh, with the dangers involved in Absolutely. having people Absolutely. engage in that sort of interaction, um, the networks determined, and we certainly supported this decision that it just didn't make sense for Wisconsin. Absolutely, totally. So one of the big values of exit polls is to be able to is to actually able to be able to look back. I think most people think of exit polls as this is what happens on election night and. It, it gives reporters something to talk about before the results come in. But the real value, I think, for pollsters is, is what we learn. Does, what does this say? What did you learn about this primary process from looking back at these 37,001 uh, exit polls, uh, participants that you talked to? Well, uh, I think there's a big thing. I, I really try to look at it in terms of what might it mean for November. There's tons of great analyses on why Biden won or why the losers lost. But so I tried to set, kind of point forward in what I was looking at. And I think there's a couple main things that jump out. The first one is just how oriented this Democratic primary electorate was around defeating Donald Trump. If there was anything that unites this electorate, it's their negative feelings towards Trump, their desire to find a candidate who can beat Trump or who they believe can beat Trump, and their anger towards Trump. So the, the single uniting factor is we've got to beat this guy. We've got to win uh, in November. Um, and um, as you all know, through a variety of twists and turns, that process and that sort of guiding principle through at the end led to Biden getting the nomination. You know, this is really interesting because because you're actually talking to people who voted um, in these um, in these primary elections, and it includes uh, both Democrats and in some states, independents who just preferred to vote in that primary. Do you see any differences between uh, strong Demo people identifying as Democrats, strong Democrats, or those less so? Well, yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the things that I think will be a challenge for, among many challenges for Biden in the fall. I mean, Biden goes in with a lot of advantages because whoever has a D next to his or her name uh, just starts with a lot of states in their pocket and uh, this fervor among the core to, to beat uh, Trump in the fall. The things that are real challenges for Biden uh, one is just a general lack of enthusiasm for him. The people who say they're supporting him don't seem as committed or as, as fervent about it as, say, Trump supporters, not from exit polls, but um, you know, on the, um, from other polls that we can see. Uh, he did 
Biden did extremely well among people who identify as Democrats. He won them overwhelmingly. He did not win the independents. Bernie Sanders won independents. And I think that relates a bit to this sort of bend in the universe that you can see in the polling. We always think of it as sort of a, a left-right vector and it just being conservative to liberal. But there's this connection on one level between sort of the Bernie Sanders supporters, uh, this anti-establishment aspect of the party and uh, what I call sort of this Joe Rogan element within, you know, people who said, if not Bernie Sanders, then I will go to Trump. Anyone, I don't want anyone associated with Washington associated with the sort of establishment. But so that's going to be one of the challenges. Was there any indication from your questions in the exit polls that that, that exists in any real number, that, that Joe Rogan is the leader of, a, of millions <laughs> or tens of millions of people, or is that him and, and a couple of people who just using his him. podcast? Just using him as an example. Yeah, no, Obviously, I know, we didn't but... ask about Joe Rogan, but no, the, um, <laughs> um, again, the there is definitely there was definitely a group in 2016 that supported Sanders in the primaries and then ended up voting for uh, Trump. And I, I think that'll be one of the interesting things to measure in November is can we find the same pattern uh, this fall as well? Yeah, Larry. Aside from Joe Biden's age. Uh, and that places significance on a vice presidential pick. Um, do you feel there's anything that he can do uh, in terms of his selection that might help him? You mean vice presidential? Well, vice presidential is his running mate uh, to, uh, to kind of give him a boost, um, aside from the fact that the person is, you know, will be a lot younger than 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 he is and presumably uh, right, presumably <laughs> uh, almost mathematically right the um, <laughs> um the uh well you know he's already said he's going to choose a woman well, yes uh and I, my biggest argument would be that if you were to renege on that promise it, i think it would be disastrous i think he, yeah. he no matter he could claim oh covid changed things or whatever i don't care those circumstances he has to follow through on that and 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 do that um, if you look at the exit poll data, and you know, I mentioned how angry, when we asked about what do you feel about the Trump administration, one of the options was angry. And an overwhelming majority of Democrats said angry was the word that, that mm. uh, they feel towards Trump. What was the but other women, side of the scale? It was, it was a four-point scale. It was enthusiastic, satisfied, but not enthusiastic, dissatisfied, but not angry, or angry. And mm -hmm. uh, two-thirds chose angry. And virtually everyone else chose dissatisfied, but not angry. So it was just a matter of how angry were you. And, uh, but women were angrier than men. And uh, while the numbers were relatively small, the people who voted for a woman candidate were angrier than the people who voted for a male candidate. Um, and so my suspicion is the smart thing for him to do would be to try to tap into that angry group and cover them off with the vice presidential choice. And so uh, that might be one of the things he, he should use to guide him. If you were only to allow to do exit polls in three states in November, what would the three states be? Wow, I can get it down to five in a heartbeat, but three <laughs> makes it much Okay, we'll take, we'll take five. I'll take five, I'll take well, five. We'll take five. The, the five that, may, that are gonna matter are the three big ones from last time, uh, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. But I would add to that North Carolina and Florida. Um, those are to me, the as of, today, and things could get so scrambled, whether it be COVID or the fact that we're gonna have a 74 year old running against a 77 year old, and who knows what kind of uh, ways that could affect things. Um, 
but uh, those are the five states that I think will, will be the fulcrum, at least as of April, will be the fulcrum that the whole thing rests upon. And those were the, you know, we remember the three that flipped over in surprises, you know, the northern ones. But North Carolina and Florida were right there on the edge as well. And there's all kinds of different combinations among those five. So those are certainly, if we could only look at five, those would be the five as of today that we'd want to look at. Somehow, I think we're going to be going right into the heart of the matter, uh, you know, in just in just a few months. Um, you know, Larry, thank you very, very much. We really, really appreciate it. We follow uh, your work, obviously, all the time. Um, and this is a terrific study. Um, and actually, um, if our listeners are interested um, in hearing the, the full webinar, um, where can they go, Larry? They can just go to our website, edisonresearch.com, and it's right there on the homepage. You can just find it there and, and click on it. And it's okay. only 25 minutes long, and hopefully it'll give people insights. Okay. Yeah, but into there was what a lot of happen. data there that I think people will find very, very interesting. Um, Terrific. So thanks. Thanks very much. And All right, guys. Thanks, Larry. Thank we'll you. Chatting again, yeah, we'll, sure. we'll see you down the road. So long. So let's turn from 2020 and the election that's coming to the election past 2016. And we have... Um, <laughs> talked about this a lot on this show, and pollsters have talked about this a lot. They're the widespread perception that the polls got 2016 wrong. So before I say anything else, I just want to remind everybody that our poll and other quality polls, the last polls before the election, we had Hillary Clinton winning by two points. She won by two points in the popular vote. We do not elect presidents by the popular vote, though. We do it with the Electoral College. And so you need to look at the states and uh, we and all the other quality polls, nobody was in the key states. If there's a failure, it's in the part of not being in those key states and doing polling, but it's not about the polls being wrong. Okay, I'm off my soapbox. So uh, well, this, also, uh, I, want to, I just want to point out, too, that um, the, the reason why we know all of this information about also why um, voters voted the way they did uh, is because the great exit poll work. Um, that Larry and his colleagues at Edison Research um, do. And that is also polling. And so um, they, uh, they did a terrific job in 2016 and have been for, for many, many, many years. Um, so there's a lot of good to be said for, uh, for polling. Although I'm not, you know, I guess I'm a polling advocate just because of what I do. But I also like to think that I'm a, science advocate. And so I think uh, we were taking a look at a, another round of why the polls uh, were wrong uh, four years ago. And this is sparked by a Newsweek article. Uh, Sam Hill is uh, the uh, reporter. And basically, the argument he says is, he looks back at 2016, he says the, the polls were, were wrong. Um, and so Lee, were the polls wrong? Well, you know, in part, uh, there was issues in 2016, which had less to do with the polls, I think, than the prognosticators who were taking polls, putting them through their special sauce and coming up with these, you know, 88% chance that Hillary Clinton was going to win, 92% chance that Hillary so Clinton was going to win. 538 did that. New York Times did it with Upshot. Uh, Huffington Huff Post. did it. Yeah. yeah. And so, and what that did, you know, the media and the public uh, and I guess the prognosticators have a difficult time dealing with uncertainty and, and, you know, and notions of probability. So if you say someone has an 80% chance of winning, well, there's a 20% chance they're not going to win. 
uh, and that kind of got overlooked. So there was this great sense of expectation going into the uh, general election that Hillary Clinton was riding a wave um, and she did get a lot more votes. In fact, she got more votes than any presidential candidate with the exception of Barack Obama in our history. So, I mean, it's not like this was a person who was bankrupt when it came to adding up the tolls. Unfortunately for her, they weren't distributed well, and that could still be a problem down the road because Republicans haven't won a majority of the popular vote since 1988. Well, also, you know, one of the things that um, I think is really troubling, and we've talked about this on the podcast before, but what I find really troubling about articles that, you know, plaster, you know, the polls are wrong, you can't trust them. And in this particular instance, um, the author, Sam Hill, um, who hopefully maybe down the road we will uh, get to chat with, um, actually says, don't pay attention to them. So who or what um, should people be paying attention to? Um, certainly, I hope he's not suggesting that we pay attention to just opinion writers. Um, I think there, there is a very significant science behind polling. I know there are difficulties, but if you look at scientific pollings and polling, and many actually academic researchers did do that after 2016. They went through and they, and they looked at those polls that were scientifically done, uh, where uh, organizations and other media uh, um, groups um, spent an awful lot of money to do polling in a, in, a, in a scientific and representative way and found that the polls were very accurate. I think, Jay, your, big, your point that, you know, the big mistake was probably just not being in the states that turned out to be very different um, at, at the end. Yeah, and it, that's not something, just to be clear, that's not something that we necessarily control, right? We work with partners in the media, and, and so there are decisions that are made about where we go and, and where we're polling, and there was a conventional wisdom, and there's certainly everybody's guilty at times of being part of the conventional wisdom, that uh, Hillary Clinton was maybe expanding the map. So yes. let's go find out what's happening in Texas or Arizona or Georgia or places like that, and as it turned out, yeah, she wasn't expanding the map. Uh, Donald Trump was expanding the map into traditionally Rust Belt, into traditionally Democratic states in the Rust Belt. Yeah, I want to make two uh, two points on this, and and one is that the uh, the timing that we've is, is really a big deal. We've talked about this in other podcasts uh, that the uh, the timing of when the poll is in the field makes a huge difference, particularly. On the one hand, if a lot of people have voted early. On the other hand, if there's late deciders. We saw that in the primaries, polls that were- Huge, yeah, that was huge. Out, I mean, the, the late deciders were the ones who were moving the mountain uh, in terms of the primary, uh, particularly after, uh, you know, for the South Carolina and going forward after that uh, for, for uh, uh, Joe Biden. So that's a big deal. What and the aggregators, things? I just want to point out also, the aggregators um, lag. In other words, they need to have a lot of polls in their databases to keep um, their, uh, their models going. So they actually lag and are using polls from farther um, uh, back in the future. Back in the past. Yeah, back in the past. And, back in, the, I'm back to the future. Back to again. the future is where we're going. Yeah. And, and the other point I want to make is one of the takeaways that came out of the 2016 analysis that uh, the American Association of Public Opinion Research conducted and others did, and I was on that committee. Uh, one of the takeaways was the so called silent Trump voter. The notion that somehow these people were being missed. And if we know anything about Trump voters, they're not really very silent. And also, and here's, here's the rub on all this, 
if they were missed, how comes the national polls were right on and the state polls maybe not so much? And the answer is timing, not that these were being people missed. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to come around, I'm going to come full circle and say, so does this reporter, though, have a point about 2020? Are we prepared for 2020? Are pollsters prepared for what could happen in, in, in the fall in 2020? I think that scientific polls um, do do a very good job of giving you a sense of where an election and an electorate is on these candidates. I think the difficulty is it's very expensive. It's very time consuming. Um, we talk about, oh, there's, there's uh, one of my dogs. Uh, they're actually <laughs> sleeping. They're, they're having a bad dream, or maybe they're just saying, oh my God, they're going at that election stuff again. 2016, <laughs> stop. I don't want to hear any more about that. <laughs> um, but, but, I, but, I, but I do think that, um, in the coming months, uh, one of the difficulties is that this was a very, it's a very expensive undertaking. And most of the polls we do see are, are polls that are not representative. And if you don't want to think of them as wrong, you should at least think of them as being very incomplete in terms of giving you a sense of what the entire electorate is thinking. And so to the degree that people can invest in science um, and good polling uh, going forward, I think that in 2020, um, the pollsters will continue to do a good job. The only the other thing that we did find is that pollsters this time will have to really take into account geography um, mm -hmm. because we've also found that that is a very important factor um, in, in polling going forward. Uh, and uh, it certainly remains to be seen. We will, we will certainly be tested again. And we're uh, going to explore that geography. We've talked about it before, and we will certainly be talking about it as we get down into the fall. For now, however, that's going to do it for this edition of Poll Hub. Poll Hub is a production of the Marist Poll at Marist College in Poughkeepsie, New York. Um, in this case, it's a production that is located in various places because we're all doing this from it our homes is. remotely. And Mary Griffith is remotely executive producing, and Casey Schaff will be remotely editing this podcast. <laughs> and, and far away is the Roper Center at Cornell University, who provides us the ability to look back in time and survey questions. And the exit polls, I believe, uh, are there as well. Is that true? I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe yes. Um, I, I think they, they were at one point. Um, I okay. know there was some Some issues with that. Yeah. Yeah. Of how people, of how people were using them. Certainly not the, the Roper Center. Um, they were, they were providing all sorts of security for how that data could be used. Uh, so you might want to take a look. Uh, certainly the Roper Center has lots of other topics um, and, there and, as and well. And a lot on the coronavirus yes. uh, uh, right now. Uh, there's a lot of stuff and, and um, very important numbers are being put together on and front all and kinds center, of things. Front and center on their website. But if you do have questions or comments, please feel free to reach out to us on social media. Uh, we're at Maris Poll on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, everywhere, pretty much any platform. Uh, and if you want to learn more about polling and the things that we talk about each week, as we've said many times, go to our online learning platform, the Maris Poll Academy. Um, it's engaging, can be pretty entertaining. You'll see, uh, you'll get to actually meet and see uh, this, this cast of characters and, and many more. And as we always like to say, it is free. We always like to say right now, stay healthy and, and uh, be cautious 
and your health really is important. Don't be reckless. That's right. We will uh, see you next time. Stay safe, everybody.